I did something yesterday that you should all feel impressed and sorry for at the same time. Okay. Ooh. So I had my last CSA vegetables were still in the refrigerator. I had a bag of tiny beets and tiny turnips. And yesterday oh, I, I spent an hour and a half peeling and dicing 77, no. 77 tiny beets and turnips so that I oh, could no. make beet soup. Oh, wow. <laughs> Was it good? True. Oh, it was fantastic. I told people that they had to eat it slowly. Because <laughs> that is a lot of peeling. You know, it's an hour and a half. An hour and a half of it shows that I don't have much to do, I guess. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Good-Looking People in Small, Clever Rooms that Utilize Every Centimeter of Available Space with Mind-Boggling Efficiency. I'm Andrew, and I'm here with Brianna. Good afternoon. And as always, we're joined by my mom, Norma. Hi, everyone. And by our friend, Vinny. Hello! So I have to say, before we get into this section, this is a fairly short section uh, because we're we're gearing up for a, kind of a longer upcoming chunk. This is one of my favorite parts of the book so far, I think. Hmm. I just really, really like it, and I have things to talk about, but I'm curious what you all think. I thought that it was really good that we only had, like, what, 14 or 15 pages to read? Because, mm -hmm. so there's, like, two two chunks, right? Two yeah. little chapterettes or whatever. It took me a half a day to get through the first one, because I kept mm. finding things that I needed to look into. It took me forever. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I also have a lot. Oh, good. I thought it was dense. My favorite part of this reading is the duck pond stuff, which we'll get to. Yes. Um, before that, so this chapter starts with this ad for a TP console or like listings of specs for a TP console. Um, That's what I wondered. What is it an ad? Is that the intent at the beginning? It's kind of an ad, but it's But then it then it starts listing symptoms. So it goes year of the dependent adult undergarment, uh interlace tell entertainment, risk power TP with or without console, pink two, da 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 da. Electronic couture, all in one consoles, you shit you nanoprocessors, laser chromography, virtual capable media cards, fiber optic pulse, digital encoding, killer apps, carpal neuralgia, phosphenic migraine, gluteal hyperadiposity. Lumbar stressy. So this sounded really familiar to me. Hmm. We have yeah. heard this exact text earlier in the book. This whole thing from what? Year of the Adult Under uh, Dependent Adult Undergarment all the way through to Lumbar stressy. So not just the TP console specs, but the symptoms really? too. We've heard it was. -uh. It was right after Don Gately and Trent Kite killed. In the in the house right after where the, the break guy in. died. Yeah, Duplessis. Yeah, that when that, his friend when Kite is drooling over the equipment. Yes. Yeah, that is the oh. same exact text. Oh, that's holy weird. cow! Isn't that weird? That's weird. Yeah. What does it mean? I don't know. I mean, I assume that it's the only thing I can think is that it's reminding us specifically of Duplessis's TP console. Why exactly? Yeah. I don't know. Why? I right. don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe that's a stretch. The next part of the paragraph, 
leans really heavily into a space that reminds me a lot of quarantine and isolation oh, and thing. lockdowns. Mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. the same thing. But more from a uh, a voluntary, I can't possibly tear myself away from my TP lens as opposed to a don't go outside because you may die because of virus thing. Right. But yeah, working at home via some digital link and 50% of public education disseminated through accredited encoded pulses. I read it as like, this is the top of the line and this is what it's being used for nowadays. And this is what it does to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. So I didn't realize that it was exactly what we'd read, although I remembered having conversations about some of these things, like the idea of apps and when the term apps first came to be used. And I remembered Andrew saying that it was the Apple computers that first referred to apps or applications or whatever they called them. Mm -hmm. And then I got to thinking about the, the idea of killer apps. And so I just poked around a little bit and I found some stuff that was like the first apps that would have been considered killer apps. Yeah. And I was totally fascinated Ooh. and sucked into it for an hour, probably. So um, so what were some of them? Okay, so VisiCalc, 1979, mm. was an uh, electronic spreadsheet mm-hmm. that was made for the Apple II. And Creative Computing Magazine called it Reason Enough for Owning a Computer. Which back then would be an issue because people wondered, why would you want to own a computer, right? Mm -hmm. No, but you didn't have computers. Individuals didn't. Right. So that was the precursor to like Excel, right? Yeah. Uh, And 1979 also, the, the dates get really weird to me because this doesn't seem that long ago in my lifetime. Um, 1979 was WordStar. Mm hmm pre-internet word processing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, Microsoft Word for Windows came out in 1991. Mm-hmm. And in, in 1990, the U.S. Department of Labor said that word processing technologies increased office production by 15 to 20% and changed the demand for clerical employees and the nature of their work. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. Also 1990, PowerPoint was introduced oh boy. at the, the same day that Windows operating system launched. Mm-hmm. And, wow. Uh, per Business World uh, reported in 2020 that by 2012, uh, PowerPoint was installed in a billion computers and estimated 350 PowerPoint presentations given every second. Mm. Thus the downfall Why? of presentations in, <laughs> to adults. Yeah. Internet email mosaic, mm, the mm-hmm. first one of the first web browsers, mm-hmm. uh, the first to display images in line with text. That was 1993. Yeah. Mm. Oh boy. Uh, Napster 1999. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then 1996, the Google search. Really? Was it that early? So there is a book. Authors of a book, the Google Story. Mm-hmm. said the program has had an impact on access to information equivalent to the Gutenberg printing press 600 years earlier. Hmm. And I kind yeah. of I kind of believe that before Google search I remember when when it became available because before that 
there were all these rules about how to type in searches. Mm-hmm. Like you had to use really, it was computer, more computer language, more uh, not this, but this, or I don't know. There was, mm-hmm. It was complicated. You had to say it the right way if you wanted any hope of finding what it was that you were looking for. And then all of a sudden you could just type in things like, what can I substitute for caraway seeds? you know and that that was that was a big deal well those are boolean search terms that are still used in google yeah but i kind of remember google too uh like the beginnings of google that their search algorithms were better so right you'd get better you'd get more relevant results from google than you would from like i think yahoo was already a thing at the time and and a couple others Mm -hmm. But I was stunned because, so 1996, though, was so the that was year that this the time book that was this published. Book was written, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and oh, PowerPoint, yeah. PowerPoint, it was published and in word 96. processing. So maybe that, mm-hmm. maybe that uh, repeated section there with the interlaced tele-entertainment thing, mm-hmm. he was just enjoying having word processing capabilities. It could be. It <laughs> could be. Paste it, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> I mean, joy. I think I was thinking about this too, that in this section, it seems like there are some things he's seems very forward thinking about in terms of being able to predict the phenomenon of working from home and like video conferencing, teleconferencing stuff. Right. Um, right. I think one of the things that he failed to consider was like the ubiquity of cameras, what the ubiquity of camera, mm-hmm. like tiny cameras everywhere uh always connected to the internet i mean not exactly but on 621 there's the fellowship and anonymous communion of being part of a watching crowd a mass of eyes all not at home all out in the world and pointed the same way Mm -hmm. feels kind of like i don't know web streaming or twitch streams or yeah uh, videotaping the police Mm -hmm. I think I read that differently because I i mean, I think that one of the things that's most important about the crowd that gathers to watch the draining of the duck pond is that it yes, is that it's in person. It, it, yeah, it's completely in person. But I'm saying Although, it could be read. Oh, there may be another way mm-hmm. of all being in community mm-hmm. and watching the same thing. Yeah. like So I wouldn't dismiss it. So he didn't he didn't consider that you could get some of that feeling of joining with others to watch something happening live. Uh, he didn't consider like the webcam at the bear webcam or the, you know, the Osprey nest or the, or the ability mm-hmm. of people to like take videos of police officers and upload them to the internet. Right. Mm-hmm. He's focused on the ability to watch stuff. He's not focused on the ability to create it for everyone to mm. be the creator of of things yeah. that others watch. Yeah, maybe, which was like, you know, I, I remember a time, it, it feels like it's kind of become so obvious now that it's not even part of the discussion of technology anymore. But I remember a time a few years ago when the word creator was like this really big buzzword right. in tech startups and stuff that everyone was going right. to be a creator. This is the year of the creator. And yeah, it seems like that's maybe something that he didn't consider. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is not surprising. Like, I think that that type of relationship with technology and with telecommunications would have been really, really far from obvious in the mid 90s. Like, I think even by the time YouTube launched in 2005 or something, the idea that people would be using it the way they are now 
would have been um, kind of unimaginable. Right. Well, he didn't imagine the cell phone as a tiny computer that everyone carries in their pocket. That's true. That's another thing that he sort of misses. Camera and... It it seems like the way he envisions technology developing is not into like small, low-powered, ubiquitous devices. Like they would still be somewhat rare and they'd still be big and not portable. They'd just be able to do a lot more stuff and with like higher image quality than (laughs) than computers in the 90s could handle. Right. I like Brianna really like the part about it's it's in that first paragraph where he talks about the percentage of Bostonians who now work from home and mm-hmm. of those who do go to work, the percentage of them that could work from home and 94% of Onanite paid entertainment is consumed at home now. An mm-hmm. entertainment market of sofa and eyes, mm-hmm. which is also interesting, especially with what film movie company is mm-hmm. said say that they're going to release their movies next year in theater oh was that was that oh, mgm yeah. or something it was a big one was it wb oh maybe it was wb so that is more and more true you know we consume a lot of our entertainment at home yeah there's a, a line that i really liked here that uh nobody would call bad what no one can imagine <laughs> being without it's right. sort of ominous i remember back when i was in undergrad we had uh bruce schneier come speak he's um like a cybersecurity and sort of tech futurist person uh who has some pretty mm. interesting things to say about uh kind of the way the way the world of technology works this would have been in like 2007 2008 he was talking about this anxiety that people have that like someday the computers will take over human civilization and like the internet will conquer human civilization and his hmm. argument was that it already had there's no off switch for the internet and even if there was if we could flip that off switch that it would bring pretty much every economic system in the world to its knees right. and we already can't function without it which is a sort of alarming thing to realize although i guess you could say the same thing about like electricity i don't know that right. anyone was worried that electricity would conquer humanity but maybe they were i'm not sure maybe maybe yeah. it has there's another line just after that it says uh, so much private watching total freedom privacy choice mm-hmm. i keep wondering is this focus and or obsession with choice a uniquely American thing. I think Does it's a, everyone all over the world feel that choice is like the most important thing or one of the I think most it's a uniquely things? capitalist thing. I think that as a capitalist society, we're really skittish about the idea that there could be one thing that's good enough for everyone. So you think Europeans, for instance, would be have the same obsession with so much choice? Um, having choice. I don't know. I think, I think I it's mean, probably... we're like, we're like choice is more important than like excellence of the product or system. Even. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, think we that's... would rather have choice than excellence. Yeah. I, this I... is Marat's point about USAers. Right. Mm-hmm. right. We've ha- sort of had this conversation before and it keeps coming up in my mind because I suppose of my socialist leanings uh, and my experience with school, just school, for instance, yeah. we're so obsessed with parents need to have choice about where their kids go. Yeah, it's like, like mind, the whole charter the school Swedish, thing. Right. The, the Swedish system of 
less choice, but real focus on excellence for everybody. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, right. If, if public schools were good, like right. really excellent, then you wouldn't need to think about what your choice is because your choice is obvious. That's my question, mm-hmm. though. As Americans, would we be willing to give up choice? No. In no. exchange for truly excellent education <laughs> no. system for kids? No. No, no. Well, no because, because it's the same thing as like, you, like when you go to the store and you see a hundred different kinds of toothpaste in nearly identical boxes, right. but they're all slightly mm-hmm. different and they're all priced slightly differently. Mm-hmm. You're right. Like the charter school versus public school system thing is a great example of that because it's like if you publicly fund things like charter schools you're like paying for two parallel systems to develop in competition with each other and i think that's one of the myths of america but capitalism more generally is that that's worth the extra expense that the two systems will push each other to compete and innovate it's like the the need for choice gets pushed more and more too. So it's not mm-hmm. just so using schools as an example. It's not just charter schools versus more traditional public schools because like public schools in Fort Collins, everybody has to have a gimmick. Mhm. The School of Science, the School of Arts, project-based learning, the this, the that. Because they're all, I assume, competing for, yeah, school choice enrollment. People want choice, and and parents can choose not only whether they want their kids to go to their neighborhood school or a charter school, but they can go to any of the the traditional public schools in Fort Collins, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I guess it's the same with healthcare, too. You know, would we be satisfied with an excellent healthcare system if no. there was one and it served everybody? No. no. Oh well, although I don't know. I think healthcare is a little different. I think people are coming around to healthcare. Um like seventy percent of Americans support Medicare for all. Um mm. and no Democrats or Republicans, like office holders, support Medicare for all. But like of people who vote for those people. Pretty much everyone is in favor of it, which is surprising. I think it's like, I think that in some ways the whole Obamacare healthcare marketplace system sort of laid bare just how bad um, an abundance of choice and a lack of quality can be. And also like just how expensive that makes things. Right. I want to talk about the people going to the duck pond to watch the duck pond being drained. I, I forget exactly... Does it say how many people go? It's like an enormous crowd, mm-hmm. but it's almost like a street, like it's, it's sort of like a, an impromptu street festival or something is how I imagine it. I've been in the Boston Public Gardens mm-hmm. uh, and I've been to the Duck Pond and mm. I, it made me wonder if indeed they do drain it and clean it every year. And so I tried to find that out too. Just a side note, it was the first public botanical gardens in the U.S. Oh. And uh, the duck pond is only three feet deep. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it's a shallow thing. It seems that they really do drain it and clean the pond annually. uh, But I don't think that it happens in the fall. It seems more likely that it happens in the summer. And in fact, this year in the summer, there are many news articles that popped up about how they had to drain it this summer because the water was unhealthy and ducks were dying mm. at yeah. the pond. Yes. And that um, CBS Boston reported that the water quality was affected by the excessive heat 
but also, um, you know, the swan boats. Yeah. The swan mm-hmm. boats at the in the duck pond. There were no swan boats because of the pandemic, and that the swan boats normally keep the water churned up and aerated. Oh, so wow. no swan boats and a lot of heat and things went really bad in the duck pond, and they huh. had wow. to drain it and refill it. Fascinating. Just a little side note. Just a little side note. So it apparently is a thing. But I couldn't find any indication that it happens at the same time all the time. I love that people in Boston in this book do this and gather in this way. Uh Um, Mm -hmm. I think the first time I read it, I found it kind of like laughably sad or something. It feels to me like David Foster Wallace is being pretty overt about his metaphor here. That like we have this desire to watch and be subsumed in watching and we have a desire to to be like meek, passive members of a herd and we want to be pacified by mindless entertainment. And maybe part of it is just that I'm like sentimental for a time when we could just like go out and be in a crowd in public. Yeah, but I think I, there's that. Yeah, but I also think that this is like this. What's happening here is important. It's like a communal recognition of of the shared experience of living in the city together. Uh, and it's something they can't do through interlace. They can't do it on, on video consoles. In some ways, it's almost this act of silent rebellion in a world where like he's in the previous paragraph, he's like, there's really no reason for anyone to ever leave their house, but people choose to anyway, like they choose to go stand here and not participate in this massive technological system that's been built up around them just for a little while and that seems that seems like a a really important thing i would like to say too the reference to robert mccloskey's make way for ducklings Mm -hmm. do you young people know the story of Mm -hmm. make way for ducklings i don't (gasps) i was going to look it up and then i forgot whack mac pack sack quack i don't know all the little ducklings they need a traffic cop to help them get across the street to get to the duck pond at the public gardens it's a (laughs) Old, old book, probably written in the 50s. Yeah, that sounds Uh, right. And there are little statues there at the park, which I have shared pictures of, of Mama Mm -hmm. Duck and the babies. And they get dressed. Bostonians dress them for different (laughs) seasons. And I thought David Foster Wallace is so tough and cynical and bitey about so many things. Mm -hmm. And I thought there was nowhere in the book that he has sounded so just affectionate as he did when he talked about Robert McCloskey's Make Way for Ducklings. (laughs) The hub of radial paths, the giant verdigreed statues of ducklings in a row commemorating Robert McCloskey's beloved and timeless Make Way for Ducklings. It just sounded like such a, like, like it had to have been a favorite book from his childhood. It must have been. Like, like truly, he, he sounds so sincerely, uh, Wanting to give credit mm-hmm. to this mm-hmm. this author and the ducklings and all that. I just wanted to mention that the duck pond reminded me of Catcher in the Rye and the duck pond in Central Park. Holden Caulfield talks a lot about and gets fixated on the question of, but where do the ducks go? Especially over the winter. 
And I found it kind of sweet that David Foster Wallace kind of answers that question that some of the ducks have already decamped for point south and more leave on some phylogenic cue just as the shiny trucks pull up. But the main herd remains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a, a really odd and very cinematic transition to this brief dialogueless moment. He's describing the scene around the duck pond, and then we pull way back to inside Rodney Tyne's office yeah. uh, as mm-hmm. this is happening, and he can see this crowd out his window, and they talk about seeing right. a, a frisbee float back and forth outside right. the window. Yeah, and I did want to confirm that this is something way back in Rodney Tyne's office. They're not at the duck pond itself, right? No, no. They're in a conference room. Um, okay. At the office where of also, the regional office for unspecified services. Where oddly, they mention that Hugh Steeply is there. Although Hugh Steeply yeah. is in the persona of Helen, yes. as per the end note. Yes. So it's mm-hmm. funny to me that they didn't refer to Helen Steeply. Yeah. yeah. Well, presumably, oh, presumably he's presumably he's dressed as Helen Steeply, but he's not in character as Helen Steeply. Hmm. Right. He's not like actively undercover right now. So. Right. Weird. I was trying to to mm-hmm. place this too. Like we don't know. The chapter doesn't give us a an exact date for when this is happening. We know it's mid November. Um. Mm-hmm. But it can't be directly continuous with the stuff that's happening at ETA on November 11th, because in that scene, uh, Helen Steeply is there in the cafeteria. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I looked this up, though, too. And when things are sort of chunked in with, do we assume that it's the same date as the previous part of the book that we just read? May, I think it's close. If that's the maybe, case, is, except I looked it up. You have to go way back to find this. The last dated section was Wednesday, November 11th. Hmm. But in the afternoon. Oh, well, maybe it is Which in the afternoon be, and I mean, then Helen be. is Helen is at right. ETA in the evening, maybe? Right. I do yeah, believe she's does... wearing the same thing. She's wearing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah she's wearing the same skirt. thing. Okay, yeah. yeah. The time jumping around is very confusing to me, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to keep reminding myself to check on that. Also, there's a reference to James O here mm-hmm. when... James O used to come whenever yes, he was that's right. around. And he and would, he would bring his kids. Cleaning and bring the boys, the little mm-hmm. boys anyway. The, mm-hmm. little the grad student who engineers the Madame Psychosis show is mm-hmm. is there as well and and befalls an unusual fate. Yes. Yes. But we learn more about what people know about Madame Psychosis's absence from her show yeah and it sounds like so this grad student has a little more inside knowledge not a lot more but the public doesn't know much mm-hmm. right although her friend right the friend whose party she, yeah uh did come in to pick up tapes for madam madam psychosis's own personal mm-hmm. use this must have been and right after her suicide attempt too because it mentions that molly is still wearing the Karl Marx beard. Oh, right. right. Oh, yeah. If references again, the person that they tried to have stand in for her. Uh, misdiagnosis. 
yes, misdiagnosis Mm -hmm. and that that didn't work. And so now they just do the engineer, the technician or whatever you call him, cues in the background music and then... He has to monitor the live mic for 60 minutes in silence. And that people have come, people Mm -hmm. come during the night to see, like to ask if she's okay or to see her. And he shows the blank screen. Right. Yeah. He mentions Mario specifically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And talks about how the fact that she seems to have disappeared, the silence of presence versus the silence of absence. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. I also like the line, the disappearance of someone who's been only a voice is somehow worse instead of better. Yeah. And even though she was silent a lot during the broadcasts, that that was comforting. And the silence of her not being there, although it sounds the same, Mm -hmm. is really different. Mm -hmm. There's also talk somewhere about this description of people. I guess it's just a description of what's happening near the duck pond and talking about people parking. Well, there's vans. Do they talk about the vans getting parked into these tight parking spots? Yeah, they they park. Somewhere it talks about the really tight parking spots. And this took me back to actually being in DC where the Mm -hmm. parking is very similar to Boston, Mm -hmm. where cars are parallel parked so tight yeah, uh, it's terrifying. Driving with Bill Young and his old beat up uh, the warbler, the warbler, it, yeah, his car, and going places with him in his car, and that guy could parallel park in spaces that I swear you'd get out and look, and he had an inch in the front and an inch in the back. Yeah, he was fearless. I've mm. never seen people park like that. <laughs> <laughs> It also makes you think about the parking mayhem, the midnight swap of of parking spaces. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That it's not like you have a big wide open street where you just turn your car around and put it there. In most cases, or in many cases, you would have really tight, tight, tight spaces. So you're not yeah. just going out and, and moving your car without thinking about it. You have to go out and like really focus. Right. Well, it also reminds me of that time that you came to visit Chicago and we yes. needed to parallel park and I your said car I wouldn't you. park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I said that was it. I was done. Mm-hmm. And then that Andrew would have to move my car because I, I wouldn't because I don't parallel park in cities. Thank you. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's good to know your limits. Yeah, it is. I got good at it for a while. I feel like I've forgotten most of my parallel parking skills now. Oh, yeah. Same. I like the sinister detail about the van that pulls up that it's spotless and twinkly with wax to about halfway up its (laughs) paneled side, but above that line, dirty and rust saucered and shamefully neglected looking. Oh, yeah. Also, another note just about on what the MIT guy knows about Madame Psychosis. He says something about she's in treatment at only half a house. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Also, there keep being references to... Uh, shopping carts, right? That the homeless people yeah. are using for their carry their possessions around. Being there's one specific. I think there's cir- just one shopping bread cart, of, but bread and circus shopping cart. Oh, bread and circuses. And I up bread yeah. and circus. Yeah. Um, to see if see if, if there really is such a place in Boston, but it's just the reference to. Uh, yeah, I've heard that phrase before. I don't know where it comes from. A diet of entertainment or political policies on which the masses are fed to keep them fed and docile. Yeah. Yikes. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a great name for a food store. It would be great. Yeah, I, I wish that there was a supermarket called Bread and Circuses. I find it very funny how much time the uh, narration spends on how ingenious it is that there are calculators on the shopping carts. Right. All right. Oh yeah. Right. Like the, mm-hmm. they they have these TV computers that have unimaginable processing power, and the the narrator is like, "But you can add up the numbers while you shop." It's very sweet. Well, would those have actually have existed in the nineties? Yeah. In the mid nineties. Yeah, I I remember them Did from the nineties. They're gone so? now because everyone has phones. Oh, oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> We get to the hill, and I was thinking again about you guys talking about parts of the book that are really cinematic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also yeah. Vinny's comments about things that are slapstick, and talking about comedy. Slapstick comedy is not necessarily funny for the people that are in it, that mm-hmm. it's happening right. to, right? This is such a perfect example of that, because reading it, even knowing that things are going to be really bad for this poor MIT guy, mm-hmm. it's really kind of laugh out loud funny, yeah. the images. Yeah. And in fact, I kept thinking of it sort of like an animated cartoon. Yeah. You couldn't do it justice with actual live action, I don't think. Like you, <laughs> you need the exaggerated, the wheelchair assassin guy up on his stumps, leaning forward into the careening downhill roll, like mm-hmm. as if he's skiing on a mm-hmm steep downhill and jumping the moguls and the scoop on the this, front. Yeah. Of the, it's just all so ridiculous. I love that the AFR has uh, like a way to retrofit wheelchairs specifically for kidnappings. Right. But they would only work on a hill. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, they'd have to be motorized or something if but, it were a flat But to their, to their credit, works very well on a hill. It does exactly what they want it to. The wheelchair must have really good, like, all-terrain wheels, too, or it would just... Really good suspension, <laughs> yeah. It would just tumble all seat-over wheels down the hill. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, it's bouncing up in the air. Yeah. Driven expertly by its pilot, I'm sure. I'm sure. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm a little unclear on why the AFR wants to talk to this guy, but I assume that just the connection, like, they know who Madame Psychosis is... And so the connection to James O's films. Right. And maybe, maybe that's enough of a when, reason. When it talks about him, um, that he knows very little about what's happened to Madame Psychosis, mm-hmm. uh, just what he got from, what's her name? Whose name I can never remember. Molly Knott. Molly. And that it's unfortunate for him that he doesn't know more, in mm-hmm. a way. He's not going to have information that yeah. he can trade for anything not that they would trade i don't think they're pretty i feel that things are not going to go well for him no probably not i think that they have probably connected the dots that she they know his filmography they know that joelle was in infinite jest four or, or five whatever the entertainment was called in his filmography and I think that they assume that do they know that Joelle is Madame Psychosis? I think that they don't. Well, I think they must. They must. That's the only reason they would. No, except she's credited as Madame Psychosis. So I think oh, they know that they oh, want to talk oh, to Madame Psychosis, oh, but they don't oh, know that okay. that's Joelle. But they Joelle. don't know who she is. But they, they yeah, think that, she is. Yeah, they think that the engineer might know her identity. 
Okay. Yeah, right. Because if they did know Madame Psychosis' true identity, they probably wouldn't be going after the engineer. They'd just be going after Joelle. Going after right. Okay. Um, and yeah. at least the engineer will be able to narrow it down for them that she's in a halfway house somewhere. She's in half of a house. She's in a half mm-hmm. of a house somewhere. <laughs> uh, so just go around Living Boston. Living in a duplex? I don't know. Looking, looking for houses that are like missing one wall that you can just see into like a dollhouse mm-hmm. don't put me down for living in that house please. <laughs> oh boston winters mm. let's see i just had one quick question uh mm-hmm. which is what does dt stand for on page detox. six detox oh, Wait, okay where? on 626 yep Shoeless, unconscious owner just waving at the air in front of his face and DT dream of lost if. hope. Yeah, either detox or, or, or delirium tremens would be like the tremors that you get when you're detoxing. Okay. All right. Also, just a vocabulary word, the MIT guy's space blanket that he has mm-hmm. is described as coruscant. Coruscant? 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 Or? Coruscant? I don't know. Uh glittering and sparkling hmm. coruscant hmm. is it coruscant i don't know how uh, it's pronounced coruscant is a planet in star wars mm-hmm. uh but looks like coruscant is how you pronounce oh, okay. it okay glittering and sparkling hmm. yep what do rodney tyne and friends make of this so apparently they're seeing this right no. Can they see what's happening no. on the hill or i don't think so i don't think anyone's aware pond. of what's happening on the hill but what are they looking at? Are they looking at? They can see the. I they thought can they see were the looking frisbees. at the hill. Yeah, they can see the frisbees They're, that are flying around. Yeah, I thought they were watching the hill for some reason. Uh, um, either just because they wanted to enjoy the duck pond as well, or some other reason. And I thought it could be that they. Yeah, go I ahead. I thought this was just a a speechless tableau of them mid meeting. They they mention a stenographer poised in mid dictation. It says the eighth floor windows purview goes all the way to the ridge of the hillside. Oh, the yes. ridge of the hillside. Two frisbees and what looks like a disemboweled ring of frisbees float back and forth along the ridge. Mm-hmm. I think they're just looking so out the window at the gathering. Should they be able to see the van at the top? Maybe. I don't not I re- necessarily. I'm not convinced that they're in on this or watching. Like why uh, yeah. So what are they doing? They're I was trying to figure that out. Cuz it's so it's steeply and or they're setting steeply up for the visit to ETA or I assume so. Deputy Mayor and the director of the Massachusetts Division for Substance Abuse Services. Oh. Which I'm not sure how that relates. Yeah. They're not involved in, in school uh, sports urine testing, are they? <laughs> I can't imagine <laughs> that they are. <laughs> but would have perhaps some kind of limited interaction with places like Ennett House. Perhaps. Perhaps. Like I can't imagine it's top of mind for them. No. Should we move on to ETA? Yeah. Sure. Dinner time? I had a question right off the bat, because yeah. it makes the point that Helen Steeply is there, and then we never hear any more about her, or what she's right. doing, or who she's sitting with, or or what she's doing. And it also references a Syrian satellite, 
Um, that's the. Who's, who is um, that? I felt like I should know. He's who a prorector. Yeah, or he's not the prorector, but he's kind of visiting from Syria. He's oh, a tennis player. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, I, I'm oh, not like sure. If, do we know his name? I don't think we know his name. We, I thought we did know his name. Um, it's not Arslanian, though. Right? No. Yeah, no, Arslanian but is no, a kid. I feel like we learned his name when he was first mentioned, but I can't remember it. Hmm. So it says the prorector. The prorectors have their own permanent table near the carbs bar. The Syrian satelliter and enormous peasant skirted moment soft profiler are with them. So, so I guess she's sitting at the prorector table and and maybe just yeah. doing the, the the perfunctory like she's a reporter doing a piece on this family, so she needs to be seen being shown around the place before she can interview Hal. And why is the Syrian guy, why is the Syrian satellite guy there? Why isn't he with, is he not a tennis player? He's not a student. He's, he's a pro. Yeah, he's, he's a tennis pro. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he would fit more with the pro rectors yeah. age-wise. Yeah. Okay. This reminds me very much of Rita Skeeter in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, just showing up and being like, oh, yes, they will just hang out now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. At least yeah. with Steep Lee's presence uh -huh. at dinner. Yeah, and that's all we hear of Helen throughout this scene. Right. That's the only time she's mentioned. Another yeah. thing that I wondered about uh, is that it's talking just about the dining room and, you know, who sits where and how this all works. And they say somewhere that co ed tables are quietly discouraged. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I wondered, like, how do you quietly discourage that? I mean, yeah, you I don't could know. make it a rule, which would not be quietly discouraged. It would just be mm -hmm. a rule that right. the boys' tables are here and the girls' tables are here. But they they quietly discourage it. Yeah, I, I hadn't considered that. How do that. you quietly discourage yeah, co-ed tables? I yeah. would guess that they go around to the co-ed tables and they tap one or the other on the shoulder and say, oh, wouldn't you rather go and sit with, you know, mm. Hal and Kendenza over there? <laughs> yeah. Either that or just assume that since they're all a bunch of kids, they're just going to start spreading rumors if you're at a co-ed table. So Stice almost beat Hal. Yes. In a match today. And, mm -hmm. and as part of that, we hear that for reasons no one has yet pinned down, Stitt had them play out on the West Courts. Mm, it makes a point yeah. of saying that. Yeah. Do you think the West Courts are somewhere that they would be less apt to be watched? Do you think Stitt is trying to protect Hal? I don't know. I, I have his, such a uh, such a poor grasp of skill? the geography of yeah. ETA that I'm not sure. Yeah, I can't remember where the West Courts are in ETA. I wonder if there's a map. Ooh, that would be that nice. That would be good. Map of N. Field. There are things that I have to look up that I think, I, I bet that's something that everyone knows, like R-H-I-P. Oh, uh, well, yeah. no. I was wondering that too. <laughs> mm -hmm. Rank has its privileges. Yeah. Oh. I, I didn't know that okay. either. I looked I, it up. I had to look it up. I assumed that it was like an Enfield-ism that had been defined earlier in the book, but no, I don't think this has As been it mentioned. Turns out it's more of a military. It's more of a military uh, reference. I think. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. As I say, right? I find that kind of gross. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you find a map? I did. Ooh. I'm going to. 
I enjoyed just the descriptions of these ravenous student athletes yeah. eating. Yeah. <laughs> just kind of gross and Stice bites into his sandwich like it's the wrist of an assailant. I love that. I laughed out loud during that and Andrew yeah. looked at me strangely. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Although, again, it makes me uneasy about ETA. And maybe this is true about uh, really serious like sports academy places. I don't know. But I feel like it a little bit crosses the line into abuse. Mm. That these kids are that hungry. And that they've been made to expend that much energy that they are like wolves. Mm-hmm. With the deer, you know, that they brought down after after being without food for two weeks. I don't know. It feels not quite right that they should be so hungry. Yeah. So are the West Courts isolated? Uh, well, no. if we're accepting this map, they're not quite isolated. No, they're no. like with the other, there's three courts and, and they're just the third of the three courts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't really understand where... Dinner would be. I think that's in Comad. In yeah, that's where I would think it would be. Um, where does you know, on this map that we're looking at? Where would Hal sneak down to smoke weed? Down under, I think Is over by the, the film film lab. I think so. so. Okay. Underground, like between the the sub dorm and the. Yeah, isn't there a specific... There's, there's tunnels connecting like, all the between... buildings, so... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this isn't how I pictured this at all, though. So they... It's, it's it funny, like though. the I... headmaster's house and the subdorm D are the same building. Hmm. Yeah, it's like it. this illustration is smaller than I pictured it, but it does kind of make sense. And it reminds me, earlier in the book, the campus is described as being cardioid or heart-shaped. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Which I yeah. always forget. Right. But I mean, it does look like uh, if we're accepting this map that the West Courts are the closest to the film lab. So it could right. be that Stitt knows that Hal's been secretly going down to smoke weed and is trying to uh, subtly reference that. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, Hal is, Hal is elsewhere <laughs> mentally right. for this scene. Right. Can you remind me again why they call Orthostice the darkness? Because he sprays his tennis rackets black and he wears all black oh. on the oh, in competition. Okay. okay. Isn't that based on um, his sponsorship? Oh, wait. No, he asks the sponsors specifically for black yeah. kit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a very good nickname. I like it a lot. Do you ever call your cat that? Sometimes. He rarely hmm. seems he, like capable enough to be described as yeah. the darkness. Yeah. Okay. Mm. All right. I find it funny. On six thirty, there's the first introduction of I think it's powdered milk, right? And right. the quip right. that Tavis can't even regrout tile in the locker room without calling a community meeting or appointing a committee. Uh-huh. Uh, so how do you think they're gonna pull secret milk switches? <laughs> I laughed so hard. Mm-hmm. Very good. Mm-hmm. Also, your fucking head is a minute grain trelch. Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> and then at the top of 632, I wrote ghosts! Exclamation point. Ooh. Oh, yes. Why the did you do that? Keep... 
<laughs> the things that keep getting moved. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They're moving and appearing. And oh, yeah. We know about the, the darknesses suspended. bed, and we know about the squeegees, and we know about these strange machinery, like the, the, the tennis tripod, ball. the tripods, thingy. the camera tripod. The tripod we knew about from before. That was the one that right. Mario found in the right. woods. But apparently it's not the only time that, it's that happened. Was, that it was like the, the first, yeah. Yeah. Right. Is it a riding mower in the kitchen or something like that? Weird, weird stuff. Yeah. I keep coming back to this whole childhood abuse thing. Mm -hmm. Um, When we learn more about orthostice, Mm -hmm. more childhood abuse, right? When his parents' marriage is going well, the children are like totally neglected. Mm-hmm. Not fed, not don't have their diapers changed, total neglect. Uh, but then it mentions that he loves his folks to distraction, which yeah. is also the case of like abused children everywhere. But mm. not blindly, it says. He loves his folks to distraction, but not blindly. Still, it made me wonder if it's that tendency that really messes kids up when they do when they are abused as children. Yeah. If it's that probably. Like if they could step back and hate their parents for being abusive and neglectful, would they be more mentally healthy mm-hmm. than if they love someone who treated them so poorly? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Also, there's a reference to when they're talking about the powdered milk at the same time, there's a mention of that they're fed bread low in gluten. Yes. <laughs> Which I thought also was was forward looking. I guess that's always been a thing from but some sort of now, like like fancy hippie bakery somewhere in Boston. They talk about the sexual behaviors of these kids too yeah. at ETA, and they mentioned something about putting saltpeter in the milk. Mm-hmm. And I looked that up. I looked up saltpeter. Mm-hmm. It's a potassium nitrate that's used in meat processing, like smoked meats and things and that there's a story that the chemical was put in soldiers food to decrease their sex drive which Mm. is apparently a total myth but there is a story out there Hmm. so i wondered if that was the point of saying that it was put in the milk Mm. for the students at eta probably i can imagine that eta is the kind of place where conspiracy theories would spread like wildfire oh yeah well and we learn don't we that mm-hmm. in truth, Trolch is right. Yeah. Although he's wrong about the time frame. He thinks that it's just happened. Just started, right. But, but mm-hmm. Hal and Mario know that it's been going on for years. Ever since CT came. Yeah. Yeah. And that it's really a lot of trouble for mm-hmm. them to do it. Yeah. And it explains why that Tavis just wanted them to have less milk fat in their diet. But still... I want to know why Tavis would go through this whole elaborate route. Right. Why not yeah, just say we're giving you non-fat milk? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why use powdered milk? Why not just It get... was already skim. Maybe powdered milk has less milk fat than skim milk even? Well, yeah, yeah it's powder and water. <laughs> <laughs> it's disgusting, too. Yeah, it's very and mad. And it is bluish. <laughs> so they have these big milk dispensers, which... Sound familiar. Sound very yeah. familiar. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And they mentioned that the new little kids every year get excited about the chocolate milk. Mm-hmm. But then they discover that the chocolate milk tastes like skim with a brown crayon melted into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Hal that's looking out the window, the dining hall, 
and that he can see Bennett House or he can see the path down or the Enfield Marine Complex, at least, oh, from yeah. the dining hall window. And he can see Clannette and her friend heading down the path. Mm-hmm. after she's done working and that she has a bulging backpack perhaps dumpster pilferage right mm-hmm. yeah we saw her picking up the trash in ct's office and hal read fear in her that's right that she seemed fearful about something mm. and now she's headed down the hill with a full backpack mm. oh there's a, another vocabulary word here tectitic the inappropriate found objects have had a tectitic and sinister aspect So a tektite is any of numerous, generally small, rounded, dark brown to green glassy objects that are composed of silicate glass and are thought to have been formed by the impact of a meteorite with the Earth's surface. That's quite evocative. Mm -hmm. We also hear, uh, so we're kind of in Hal's head, Mm -hmm. uh, thinking about Orin, Orin's subjects and his, it's probably talking about the sexual behaviors of these kids, right? Mm-hmm. Or like mm-hmm. Hal believes that Oren's, his love life, I guess, his troubles yeah. started after the girl Oren had been wildly in love with and himself had compulsively used in films had been disfigured. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was disfigured. when things started back to the acid incident. Yeah, I assume there's something about know. thrown acid. And they say know. Hal is maybe the, the one male ETA student for whom lifetime virginity is a conscious goal. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. he thinks that Oren <laughs> has that. had enough sexual conquests for all of the incandenza boys. Right. And I mean, we also learned that Hal's tennis game has slipped and I guess Axford's too, right? That their tennis Mm -hmm. games have slipped because they are newly chemical free. Yeah. Because of the urine testing situation, apparently. Right. And yet Pemulus himself seems completely unbothered about whatever happened. There's also a lot of curiosity about what happened in that meeting, and nobody is willing to ask. Other students in the dining hall, it says everyone is waiting for fallout from the urine testing. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot, there's a lot of dread going around because there's the urine testing fallout, there's there's the eschaton. Eschaton, There's ghosts. Uh, There's ghosts. There's definitely ghosts. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Because... There's more. Yeah. Ooh. On page 633, a terrible kind of community energy in the whole dining hall, a kind of anxious sound carpet under the surf of voices and the tinkle of flatware and the darkness is at some vague center of this energy somehow you can feel. Mm-hmm. I think he has ghosts following him. He's got I think ghosts. He might. It also yeah. says something about that he's staring at that. He's staring at the bowl with the tomatoes stuck. Oh, yeah. right. Yes. <laughs> it says something about he's thinking about the table, that there's something oh, about yeah. the table. Oh, yeah. There's itself. something about the table. Stice has a secret suspicion about a secret that has more to do with the actual table than with the people at the table. Right. Mm-hmm. So you get Stice with all these kind of ghosty ideas going on mm-hmm. that he's been struggling with. And you could dismiss it as just, you know, this overactive imagination or something, except that you also have Trolch who's talking about this conspiracy theory that the milk is actually powdered milk and that they go to all this trouble of putting it in the bags that go in the dispensers and and everybody says, uh, that can't be, why would they, that would be a lot of work and why would they go to so much trouble? You actually think that they do that. And then we find out that, yes, it is true. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so here you also have the darkness with his insights into ghosts or whatever is going on with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to just discount it would not be fair because mm-hmm. we've already seen that other things that seem totally unreasonable are in fact true. We also have the phoneless cord. There's a reference yes. to a phoneless phone cord. Le- more like novelty to. gag gift type novelty things. Novelty gag stuff. Yeah, and that actually was a thing. Oh. And it was marketed as for people who love peace and quiet. <laughs> huh. Is that Stice's from like dad? like 2009 and later. That could be. Stice's. Yeah, somebody his mother dad. gives it to him for a Christmas gift or something. Yeah. It's oh, his mother. His yeah, Stice's mother gives Stice's dad it for a Christmas gift. Yeah. Also, Ooh. I think at some point, um, James O got one as well. No, there's something huh. else. It's it's the source of some family's wealth at at uh, yeah. it's an ETA oh, student yeah. who's oh, oh, oh. his dad invented the phoneless cord before oh, he right. died. Oh right, it's right. Freer. Who was that? Freer? Freer. Okay, Freer. Freer's dad invented it. Back to the sexual leanings of these kids, too. I, I had an UG, UG hmm. where somebody refers to some of the ETA girls as slutty. Mm. Oh, yeah. Slutty, and that they also believe that most serious female athletes are lesbians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, UG. They do say something along the lines of sapphic tendencies. As we know, that refers to the poet Sappho. Sappho. Mm. I don't know a whole lot about Sappho, but I do have a poem to read. Oh, good. You may smile, but... Leda, they say, once found an egg hidden under a hyacinth. I love that. Mm. (laughs) That has a lovely sound to it. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. So even though there are troubling sexist terminologies being used to refer to our female tennis students. Yeah, and it's we like... We do they're, get Sappho. They're, it's a, a, it's they're so attributed to one of the male students as saying those things. And so it's... I can't tell whether these are things that the narrator actually believes or the book actually believes. Right. But, yeah, it's, it's gross and unfortunate. Well, and it's gross and unfortunate, especially because they're talking about, you know, some of the boys and their sexual conquests and stuff. Right, but, right. Mm-hmm. So you can talk about that. But the girls who are sexually active are slutty, and the boys who are sexually active are just boys. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that <laughs> That's is the way misogyny. the world works. Mm-hmm. Patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because boys shouldn't be held to that unrealistic standard. Right. Of, right. Like, Many conquests, especially when <laughs> some of these students are like 14. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Just to backtrack briefly, there are a couple things I just realized that I missed in our trudging forward through this. One is that Trevor Axford has a childhood brain injury that makes all yes. food taste horrible <laughs> to him. Yes. Um, guy. His so clearest sad. explanation of the way food tastes to him is that it tastes the way vomit smells. Uh-huh. Which is really gross. So So I did some research about this. I don't know why, but this reminded me of some a thing that I overheard once when I was teaching at Wit. That another teacher, her husband, had like a genetic trait that made chocolate taste disgusting to him. 
Mm. Like the, the way that That's cilantro so cilantro tastes <laughs> like soap to some people. Right. So I, I right. decided to look into this a little further and I found out. So if you've ever heard the term super taster, it's like this. <laughs> no. What? It sounds like a made up thing, but it is a real oh, thing. Yeah. No, some people strange. have, I, I believe due to some genetic trait, have like a greater density of taste buds on their tongues. And that they taste things more vividly and in more detail than most. And there's a correlation between super tasters and people who think that chocolate tastes horrendous. Not all super tasters dislike chocolate, but most people who say that chocolate tastes really bad to them are super tasters. And there are two reasons for this. One is that just on a base level, dark chocolate cocoa tastes really, really bitter to them. The bitterness becomes much more prevalent in their palate. But there's another thing. This also explains why American chocolate tastes different and some might say worse than chocolate from other countries. It's that Hershey's chocolate contains, because of the manufacturing process, contains butyric acid, which is also present in Parmesan cheese. Mm. It's not in very high quantities, so most of us don't taste it or it just is like a subtle tang or bite to the milk chocolate that American consumers now have come to associate with the way that chocolate is supposed to taste. So other American chocolate manufacturers actually add butyric acid to their chocolate so it tastes like Hershey's chocolate. Huh. But, but also, isn't Hershey's chocolate made with less proper cocoa than other chocolate? I'm not sure. That sounds or is right. Or that conspiracy but theory? I, I, I have not. I did not read that. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, go on. So to people who are sensitive to the flavor of butyric acid, it tastes the way that vomit smells. Thus bringing it all full circle. That doesn't explain why why all food tastes that way to Axford, but this is a thing that some people have. Taken with the images of these kids and their need to consume massive numbers of calories. Mm Mm-hmm. It makes you feel really sorry for Axford. He eats with the neutral, joyless expression of somebody dispensing fuel into his car. Right. Mm-hmm. And how sad, because he can't just get by eating a little right. and tolerating right. it. He has to eat massive amounts. Mm-hmm. So another pandemic link is the, you know, losing your sense of smell or taste. It's not just that you can lose your sense of smell and taste, but that it can be distorted. So... Mm. Like three or four years ago, when I inexplicably lost my sense of smell and taste, Mm -hmm. which apparently, although no one could say definitively why, I believe it was the effect of a virus, like Mm. a bronchitis thing that I had. And it lasted for years. And I was unable to smell something and say what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't I couldn't distinguish between different smells, but the most upsetting thing of all to me, I'm a, like a peanut butter addict. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Peanut butter is life itself almost, and peanut butter tasted terrible. Oh, no. Like horrible tasting. Oh. Yeah. So I really feel for it didn't taste like vomit. It wasn't that bad, but but yeah, yeah, smell and taste are funny. Your perception of taste changes with age, too, pretty profoundly. Mm-hmm. And people who go on chemotherapy often have really, really drastically altered senses of right. taste. Mm. Uh, speaking of the milk dispenser, there's a sign that says, uh-huh. milk is filling, semicolon, drink what you take. Oh, right. And it used to say milk is filling, comma, drink what you take, until someone turned the <laughs> comma into a semicolon. I 
Love that very much. <laughs> Thank you. Also, we can't ignore the fact that at the end of this section, Ingersoll comes in oh, on yeah. crutches. Yeah. And he has a cast on his leg. He's out for six months with a ruptured patellar tendon. Mm-hmm. And we learn that Penn is still Broke in his the leg. hospital with a fractured yeah. femur, and he's out Yikes. for a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big deal injuries. And we still don't know what's happened. So who was the kid in the Eschaton? Uh, was it... L- with the- no, it wasn't Lord. It was Lord. The, Lord. Because was he, was the the, he was God, yeah, remember? Because he was God. Right, 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 yeah. right. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we Otis still don't P. know. Lord. We don't know what's happened to him. No. Well, we saw him at the meeting. Oh, right, yes. With the monitor still with his, on his head. Right. right. So with somebody watching to make sure it didn't slip and, like, cut his jugular. Yeah. Or so was that mm-hmm. earlier this day? Was that on the 11th? I can't remember. I can't remember either. I think so, but who knows? It feels like we've been on November 11th mm. for a long time. We've been on November 11th for mm. a really long time. We were on Interdependence Day for a very long time, too. Yeah, we were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were. And apparently, Hal feels pretty guilty about the Eschaton thing. Yes. Perhaps more guilty than anybody else. He's mm-hmm. the one that goes over and kneels by... Ingersoll and talks to him and yeah the way it's described almost feels like a baroque painting or something yeah like everyone's it does he's kneeling penitent before Ingersoll everyone at the surrounding tables inclined very subtly away from him it's Mm -hmm. interesting that why doesn't everyone feel this it's interesting that Hal and who goes over with him somebody oh somebody's signing his cast Trelch Trelch yeah Trelch is signing his cast right so he goes along over with him, but nobody else is like greeting him. Everybody else is leaning away. They don't want to be part of Hell's kneeling and checking in with Ingersoll. Yeah. Was Ingersoll the one that threw the tennis ball? No, was that was... He was. Or was he the one that was hit by the tennis ball? I think he was the one no, who was, was pelted the... with tennis balls. I don't remember exactly, and I don't have the energy to look it up right now. No, I don't either. I don't think it matters. (laughs) But But I did look up when that meeting was. Looks like it's the 9th of November. Oh, okay. So it's been a couple days. a couple days. That's the meeting that Hal and Pemulus were summoned to? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Lord came out of CT's office while they were in the waiting room. He was, no, he was sitting in the office. He was part of the confrontation. And of course we know that they're all trying to get ready for this big tennis tournament in Arizona, right? The Whataburger tournament. And what is the urine test issue going to do to this? And what is not being able to use their substances going to do to their ability to play in the Whataburger? Right. And be competitive. So there's a lot of tension. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I particularly didn't like the squeegees that had been up on the oh, wall. Oh, yeah, the crossed squeegees. Like and they couldn't find squeegees. a nail anywhere in the wall. Mm-mm. I don't like it. <laughs> Go with mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you ready for my fun facts? I'm so ready yes, for your please. fun facts. Okay, so on page 636, we get a physical description of orthostice mm. um, as oh, yes. resembling yes. a poorly spliced photo. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> a beautiful sports body, lithe and tapered and sleekly muscled, smooth like a polycletos body, Hermes or oh. Theseus before his trials, on whose sits uh, the face of Winston Churchill. Right. <laughs> polycletos is a famous Greek sculptor. I glanced at it, but he was the least interesting to me, so... <laughs> so there might be one that is attributed to him in the Met. And then Hermes, you may be familiar with as the Greek god of travel, messages, the postal service, and thieves. <laughs> That's funny. Hermes. <laughs> and thieves. That's funny. Yeah, he famously <laughs> stole Apollo's cows, and then when he was put on trial in front of Zeus. Zeus was like, well, just give him his cows back. And that's when Hermes gifted Apollo with the lyre that he oh. created using the guts from oh. his cows. Mm. Oh, what a smart <laughs> Alec. What a smart Alec. <laughs> and that would be Hermes. Um, <laughs> and Theseus is the most interesting to me because he's from a lot of different things. Famously, he defeated the Minotaur in the labyrinth, mm -hmm. uh -huh. the half-man, half-bull situation, and worked with Ariadne to make that happen. Mm. Sometimes he's related to Hercules, like a buddy of Hercules that helped with some of Hercules' trials. According to Wikipedia, Theseus has his own six trials, but I wasn't familiar enough with them. And I wasn't interested enough in them <laughs> to go to a depth with them. But the ship of Theseus is also a paradox and a philosophical problem where Theseus and his crew leave and they're on a very, very long journey to the extent that pieces of the boat keep breaking down and they have to add new pieces. And there's a question of, is it the same ship? as oh, the one that left yeah. in the first place, oh, if oh. most of it's been replaced over mm. the time of the journey. And my favorite is from a story that appears in the Canterbury Tales. The Knight's Tale tells of Theseus's battle with the Amazons and how he ultimately marries the queen of the Amazons, who he takes as war booty, Hippolyta. And they, as a couple, show up as the nobles in A Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh. Mm. None of this really related to <laughs> Orthostice, <laughs> but interesting that classical illusions are being paralleled about. Uh, <laughs> with Winston Churchill. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who's a more contemporary yeah. reference and looks like a yeah. bulldog. <laughs> yeah. What would you rather have? Would you rather have the perfect body and a really unfortunate head and face? Or would you rather have the Ooh. perfect head and face and a rather unfortunate body? <laughs> well, I, I mean, was about obviously, to... <laughs> you'd rather have both. Perfect. Right. <laughs> right. But if you couldn't, if you had to choose one. Uh, not only that he has this like perfect athletic body and he wears these really chunky what do they describe it as kind of hick 
like, I guess you would say, hick? Mm-hmm. How do they describe it as kind of a country bumpkin, kind of the way of dressing with his jeans rolled up and his button-up short sleeve yeah. shirt and his, he's got this amazing athletic physique, but it's covered with this kind of... Off-the-court orthostasis, flat-top crew cut, and penchant for cuff-rolled blue jeans and button-down short sleeves with a checkered pattern are strictly from Hick. Yeah, from hmm. Hick. Uh, another vocabulary word here, Sims. Hal abandons a shallow bowl of dessert sims. Oh, yeah. It's a, a stew of vegetables or fruits cooked slowly over very low heat, or informally, oh. a state of confusion. Weird. Oh. Both, perhaps, in this case. <laughs> Poor Hal. Yeah. He's doing the right thing, but. Yeah. But it's not gonna. The funny thing is, he is substance free. He is the new chemical free Hal. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he seems okay with it in a way, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, like, except oh, okay. that he knows he's salivating his game. A lot. He's, he's salivating a lot, and he knows his game is suffering. Does he care that his game is suffering? I can't quite figure that out. He is aware that his game is off because he's not using his chemicals anymore, right? He's aware of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But. It's almost like it's a relief to him that he can just stop indulging and let his game go downhill. I don't know. I get the feeling that he's okay with it, that he's not too worried about it, because if he was worried about it, I feel like we would have heard about that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. Others are wondering, you know, wondering what's up. And of course, it also does illuminate the whole thing about how he had his sudden advancement of his tennis skills. Yeah. Sudden and unexplained and unexpected. So it's apparently his, his, the, the, the substances he's using are, are, enhancing his abilities but that doesn't seem right either because mostly he's used marijuana right Mm -hmm. right i don't think marijuana is seen as a performance booster it would be more of a performance inhibitor so what's Mm -hmm. going on well i don't think he plays high i don't think he's ever played i I don't know i'm not sure if we know that Uh, i assume that he hasn't so is hal's tennis play better when he's using his substances because he's more relaxed i think that could be part of it stressed about the game that could be but he doesn't seem stressed even about almost losing so i don't quite understand what his drug use does for him as far as elevating his game so much yeah so maybe it just stops him from overthinking everything, which he mm-hmm. seems to do a lot of. Yeah, so the closest we get to knowing Hal's thoughts about the match is it says Hal knows that Stice should have beaten right. him, but he didn't believe he could beat Hal yet deep down since Hal's right. competitive explosion. But the crisis of faith that cost Stice the match had concerned a different Hal, Hal can tell. It's now a whole new Hal, a Hal who does not get high or hide, a Hal who in 29 days is going to hand his own personal urine over to authority figures with a wide smile and exemplary posture and not a secretive thought in his head. So yeah, I mean, it does seem like he's he's fairly unbothered by the fact that he's maybe not playing as well as he was. Although, have we ever heard that Hal wants to have a professional tennis career? Have we ever I don't heard think we know anything, anything like about what Hal wants to do post-ETA. Or what mm-hmm. he wants to do even just in the tennis realm. 
He's happy to be winning and to be high rank, but he's not stressing about it. Like, who's the one that's like talking to Lyle about? Oh, that's Lamont Chu. He's younger. Lamont Chu, yeah. Yeah, but he's also not, he's more competitive than like, um, who's the the one who wants to be a dentist? Shot. Yeah. Shot. Shot. Shot, yeah. Shot, they say, is not doing well and, and is really unbothered by it. And I feel like Hal is a little more invested in his competitive well. performance. Hal likes to do well in everything that he does. But yeah. does he have a strong burning desire to be really good at tennis for the long haul? It's not... It's unclear that he's like, yeah. No, just one last thing. We kind of already briefly touched on it, but I do want to bring up the fact that we do basically get confirmation that Hal is queer. He's asexual, which I thought was interesting and worth noting. Also, you know, for as ugly as this deals with lesbians and female tennis players and all of that, it actually treats what he calls the asexual contingent of Enfield rather nicely, I thought. Right. Yeah, I'm a little unclear on whether the narration views that as a sex and gender identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just their situation right now. Right. Mm-hmm. But certainly not treating it as a negative, whether right. it is like a an identity thing or whether it's just based on a life lived with no time for anything other than your sports and, and no energy for anything other than your sports, whatever it is, that it's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not like they don't elevate the boys that are sexually active as being, you know, right. something yeah. special, right? Mm-hmm. They're not really, it's just sort of a statement of fact. Yeah. 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 So many questions though, mm-hmm. at the end of this, what is Clinette afraid of? Why? Did the squeegees stick to the wall? Ghosts. What Ghosts. is Helen Steepley doing in the dining room? <laughs> when will we find out what the fallout is of the Eschaton thing? And and then there's well, we get some. We've I mean, got, to to be fair got, to the narration, we actually get some answers here. We get more answers here than we have before. We hear about the more details about the injuries, but we don't get information about what the. Is there going to be punishment? Oh, Are there going to be changes? Was the urine testing thing part of the Eschaton investigation? Like the fact that these older students didn't jump in and and intervene? I don't know. Mm. Why is all of this happening all at the same time? Yeah. Does anyone have anything they would like to plug or promote? Christmas trees. (laughs) Just the idea of Christmas trees. I broke Uh, my rule of not putting up a Christmas tree before December 6th, and we put ours up yesterday, and it's really nice. Nice. Uh Uh-huh. The cats seem totally unconcerned about it. That's uh, good. Which is funny. You'd think they would be more admiring of it. They seem like it's not there. Hmm. But I like it. I want to plug Andrew's birthday, which is tomorrow. (laughs) All right. Thank you. And yeah, absolutely. And even though this, you know, will be coming out, what, a month later or anything, go ahead and wish Andrew a happy birthday anyway. Oh, thanks. Yeah, Yeah. by our our many social media platforms. That's right. Mm -hmm. You can reach us by email at smallcleverpod at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram 
and Twitter and Facebook, all at Small Clever Pod. If you look at our Facebook page or our Instagram page, you will see we're trying to get the infinite pets hashtag started. <laughs> so there's a photo of my mom's cat, Corbett Eugene, sitting on Infinite Jest, and Vinny has some pictures of uh, Infinite Fantastic Jest in, in amongst chicken chickens. Pictures. Yeah, just beautiful yeah. pictures mm-hmm. of yes. chickens and books. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes. We want to see your pets. Tag yes. Them. Yeah. Take pictures of your yeah. pets with Infinite Jest and tag them with the Infinite Pets hashtag. My website is agingrich.com where you can see my films and some of my writing. Uh, and I'm on Instagram at coffeestopfix. I'm at briannacratz.com. My website hasn't been updated in a long time, so I won't plug that. But <laughs> if you're interested in following me and my paintings, you can do so on Instagram at cardboardvv. And if you want to see any of my films, uh, they're on Vimeo.com slash henceforth. You should see his Including film. your his, new film. His new film. Yeah, you yeah. should see Vinny's yeah. new film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Cycling kind of the Nuber on to the next and then. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Kind of, yeah. kind of mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't have a website or anything. Good. So I'm hiding in, in <laughs> Colorado. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our music is by Jonathan Rigby. You can listen to his podcast, The Land of Random, on Spotify. Thanks for listening, and never open your eyes underground. Speaking of cats, don't look now, but there's a cat right behind you, Andrew. Oh, there he is. <laughs>